We are in the discourse of Christ, the last one that he gave to his disciples before his death. We're in John chapter 15, about the middle of the chapter. Hear the word now of the Lord. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. And you may be seated. We really have no clearer picture anywhere in the gospel narratives of the love and the closeness, the intimacy that Jesus had with his disciples than we have here in this Last Supper discourse. Begin with Jesus and the disciples the Last Supper, then finally going out across the streets of the edge of Jerusalem there, across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. Several hours filled with Jesus sharing and teaching with his disciples. A lot of what Jesus said to his disciples, as we see in this discourse that runs from chapter 13 through chapter 17 of John, a lot of it he said before. He said earlier in other places. Some of it seems to come to light here for the first time. This particular passage of that discourse, it sort of has what some of the Psalms have and some of the Pieces of literature elsewhere in the Bible have is what's called an incluso. An incluso is a word that, or a phrase that will be given and then there'll be a passage and then it'll sum up the passage with a repetition or a paraphrase of the original statement. We see that in the Psalms sometime. It'll say, the Lord is good or the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And then there'll be a whole psalm, and then at the end it'll say, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. That's kind of what we see here. We see Jesus speaking at the beginning of this passage, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Then at the end of the passage there in verse 17, he said, these things I command you so that you will love one another. 
the commandment that Jesus gives them to love one another. He's given earlier, as we recall from a few weeks ago, is really not a new commandment. He says, a new commandment I give you when John writes his letter to the churches of Asia later on in the New Testament we find in 1 John, he'll say, this is a new commandment, but really it's an old commandment. And it certainly is. This commandment comes from the Pentateuch, the writings of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, where it says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and minds and souls and strength. And we are to obey His commandments, the things that have proceeded from His mouth. And that's what Jesus is telling them to do, is to keep His commandment. But what Jesus has done Just like Moses before him, he has summarized and incorporated all the commandments into a supreme commandment, an overarching commandment, a commandment of love. The apostle would later say that love fulfills the law. And here Jesus is with his disciples who are like brothers to him. They've been together for three years. He's been teaching. They've been watching. They've been living with Jesus, observing him. As Peter says in his gospel, we have seen him, we've beheld him, we've gazed upon him, we've handled him with our hands. We know him. This, of course, is what Jesus wants to bring them to. You see, Jesus is the true seed of the woman. The gospel that was given in the Garden of Eden said that there would be a seed, an offspring, that would come and would defeat Satan, crush his skull, and overcome the supreme rebellion and the supreme hatred with love. And the whole motivating force of the Godhead through eternity has been with love, for God so loved the world. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. By this love is manifested. This sending of the Son is the supreme act of love for the human race. But the first offspring of the woman, Cain, was right the opposite of love. In his heart was a heart and a root of bitterness. Growing, festering, And finally, erupting in a supreme act of hatred, the murder of his brother. The one that should have been the object of his love, younger brother Abel. And that's the failure of the human seed. We are supposed to as children of Adam, manifest the love of the Father 
that great attribute of God that the image bearer of God should embody. We should be loving. We should have the love of God reflected in our souls and worked out in our ethic. But instead, bitterness, hatred, and the ruination of the race is found right there. The Lord Himself in His conversation with Cain said, Why are you all cast down? Why are you so uh, downcast and and, and, uh, oppressed and afflicted with this bitterness? Don't you know that that opens the door to sin? Sin is crouching. Satan is waiting. What will overcome that? A complete conversion to a heart of love will overcome that. And in the case of Cain, he would not repent. He would not heed the words of the Lord. He wouldn't believe the gospel. He wouldn't trust the Lord. He wouldn't obey the teaching and the admonition and the preaching of God Almighty there. In the book of Genesis we read, and as the Lord pleads for the soul of Cain, Cain turns his back upon him and commits that awful act of murder. The first shedding of blood, the seed of the woman, Cain, instead of crushing Satan, was crushed by Satan. Instead of promoting love and life and prosperity and domination of the world and the great creation enjoyed forever. Cain shed innocent blood. And the blood of Abel cried out. A cry of horror, but a cry of condemnation. Is this how brothers are supposed to relate and live with each other with hatred and bloodshed and bitterness in one and innocence and oppression and murder? Should one suffer under the tyranny and the treachery of the other? Should one be victimized and the other be dominant? The commandment was to have dominion over the earth and instead Cain has dominion over his younger brother. Jesus, the true seed of the woman, comes to reverse all of that, to change it, to change brotherly hatred into brotherly love. And that's why Jesus says to them when he commands them to keep the commandments, he He says, I'm not talking to you as slaves, literally. It's the word doulos. It's not the word for servant. It's the word for slave, bond slave. The bond slave just obeys because he's in fear and he does what he's told and he doesn't ask questions. The word that's translated in our text, friends, is really the word for love, another word for love, not agape, but phileo. And it means the loved ones. 
In other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're not slaves that just take orders because you're ordered to do it. But I have included you in a brotherhood. I've brought you to myself. I've chosen you. I've appointed you. I have singled you out from humanity to be the image bearer of God with respect to love. And he says, I'm laying down my life for you. That wretched and vile enemy of humanity that tempted Eve, that disregarded the authority of Adam, that moved Cain to do what he did, that enemy must be met. And Jesus goes to meet that enemy on the cross. And on the cross hanging there with his feet pointed down to a rock called the place of the skull, he crushed the skull of the serpent. Bearing in his body the sins of his people. Taking away the sting, removing the poison. Taking the venom of the serpent out. And he says that's an act of love. Self-giving, self-sacrificing, laying down of life. That's what we're to do for the friends or the brothers. There's a brotherhood. And ladies, please excuse me. When I say brothers, I'm talking about sisters as well. (laughs) You know, that's the way the the language works. The masculine seems to take the generic. We're talking about men and women of faith. Those that belong to the Lord. In Christ, there's no male nor female. Bond or free, Jew nor Greek. Rich nor poor. In Christ, there's one humanity, one human. And that's what we all are, whether we're male or female, rich or poor, bond or free, smart or not so smart, whatever, we're one in Christ. And in that fellowship, we have this pleasure of enjoying that love that Jesus brings to the human race. It didn't come naturally down through the generations, does it? Who fights each other worse? Brothers, cousins, kinsmen, husbands and wives. Who have the most bitterness toward one another so often are those that ought to be the closest and the dearest. But that's what Jesus is doing here with his disciples. He says, one of the reasons that I call you friends and not slaves is that the slave doesn't know what the master's thinking. He said, but you do. He said, I've told you all about the Father. And here we have the mediatorial work of Christ. He's the mediator, the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And he comes to show us the Father, as he has often said, and to tell us about the Father. Jesus is saying to his disciples and by projection, of course, to us. He's saying, you know the Father. You know His greatness and His goodness. You know His heart. You know what He's like. You know His power. 
You know His plans. You know His program. You know His motives. You know Him. And to know Him is to love Him. And to love Him is to obey Him. You're not just slaves taking orders anymore. Oh, if we have that concept toward obedience to the laws of God, we're really, really, really in a sub-Christian mindset. If you're keeping the commandments of God or trying to keep the commandments of God simply because of a slavish obedience or just a primal fear, you're behind the curve. God has shown His love in Christ. He's shown us what it's like to lay down a life. He's shown us what it's like to love perfectly. He has shown us what it's like to have the closeness and the fellowship. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to pull His disciples into into this loving fellowship of the triune God where the Father and the Son and the Spirit in their interpersonal relationships for all eternity have had this incredible love for one another. And now Jesus is pulling them in. You really don't start living the Christian life until you start loving the Christ and His Father by the power of His Spirit. Love is what should move us to obedience. We need a whole new affection in our lives. One of the apostles in warning about heresy calls it the way of Cain and it's a way to perish. If we're going to be jealous, envious, full of strife, bitterness, quarreling, dominion and divisiveness, We're walking in the pathway of Cain. We're going the road of Cain. We're going the road that is wrong. We need to walk in the way of Christ, who is the one who has commanded us to keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. If you love Him, you'll do anything He asks you. If you know and love Him, you'll go anywhere He tells you. He said He sends us forth to bear fruit. If you love Him, you will wait on Him. You will abide in Him. You will defend Him and His holy name at the cost of your own life. That's the way of Christ. And it says, whatever you ask in the name of the Father, ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. And as we mentioned last week, this is a repetition again of that principle of praying and asking the Father for something is with regard to our sanctification, our obedience, and living our Christian life. It's not just asking the Father to give us a a new Porsche or to give us a bigger house or to to do this, that, and the other. 
It is asking the Father to give us what we need in order to do that which we want to do because love pushes us, motivates us, and impels us forward. The prayers of the heart should be, Lord, make me like Christ. Conform me to the image of Christ. Enable me to stand. Enable me to resist sin. Enable me to love the unlovely. Enable me to have just a modicum of compassion in this instance where every natural instinct in my body is repulsion. Help me, Lord, overcome myself that I may be like Thee. 